I want to begin tonight with just a little bit of review to establish the principle of brokenness as we tried to see it last week or the last couple of weeks. And uh, if you remember, we used this kind of a, that illustration that, that uh, man consists of um, a phys- he is a physical being, and the physical being um, is the sight of the five senses. With his physical body, he relates to his world around him so that in his physical body, in, in, as a physical being, he relates to his world. There it, that is, he has world consciousness. We also said that man is a soulish being, and the soul of man is the sight of the personality, the mind and the will and the emotion. And the five senses. We also said that man is a spiritual being, and the spirit is the sight of God. It's where God dwells. It is the sight of the, um, of the intuition, that is the sensing organ of a man. It is in his spirit that he senses the will of God for his life, that God communicates his will and purpose and plan for his life. It is the sensing part of man. It is the sight of the conscience, which is the discerning part of man. He discerns right and wrong in his conscience, in in his spirit. And from his spirit, he has an understanding that this is right as opposed to wrong. And the spirit is the place of communion. It's where God and man commune. It's where he worships God. The spirit is the sight of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into his spirit to indwell him and to live in man, to live in his spirit. And before the new birth, before the Holy Spirit comes to indwell his spirit, that spirit of man is dead. Now man relates to his world. The unbeliever relates to his world through his physical, through his body. He relates through his five senses. He is a physical being. And the unbeliever relates to his world physically. He responds on the basis of his senses. A soulish man relates to himself. He has self-consciousness and he relates to his world. And a carnal Christian can be, is a soulish person. He is a person who, who lives his Christian life out, who lives his life out on the basis of his mind and will and emotion. And he, and he responds through the senses. As a matter of fact, a carnal Christian lives and acts just like an unbeliever. Um, Sometimes it is so confusing because here is a person who is uh, a professing Christian. He he claims faith in Christ. He is a believer. And yet his life has all of the darkness of the unbeliever. A carnal Christian is a soulish man. He operates on the basis of his emotion or his will and he relates to his world 
by, his sin, by, by the five senses. Then there is the spiritual man. The spiritual man lives by his spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in control so that he operates and he functions and he lives his life out on the basis of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's control. There is a beautiful analogy of it, and I mentioned it last week. The analogy of the temple. The temple was divided into three uh, areas. There was the outer court where every person uh, could go, even the Gentile. There was the holy place, the inner part of that temple, where only the priests could go. And then there was the holiest of holies, the holy of holies, the holiest place, where only the high priest could go, and he only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And everything that took place in the Jewish economy was on the basis of the revelation of the holiest place where God dwelt with, among His people. Now, a spiritual man is a man whose whole economy, whose whole lifestyle is lived out on the basis of the revelation of God in His Spirit. And under the control of the, of the Holy Spirit, he lives his life out, functioning as God's man in the world. Now all of these things, the mind and the will and the emotion and the senses, all of these are, are God-given. They're, they're from God. But God never intended for us to live on the basis of the outer man. He never intended for us to live like that. He, didn't, he never intended for us to live the Christian life on the basis of suppression or repression of sin. He never intended for us to live the Christian life on the basis of our will, our determination, our, our um, uh, emotions. He intended for us to allow the Holy Spirit to be in control of our life and to live by the Spirit moving and living and serving on the basis of God in control of one's life. Now the process of brokenness, the experience of brokenness, and that's a term that we're just going to get acquainted with uh, on, on Sunday nights, and it's much deeper than anything I could fathom or we could deal with on Sunday night in a kind of a teaching process. But the process of brokenness is what God does to shatter our dependence upon the outer life, upon the outer man. It's what God does to bring about our dependence entirely upon Him. It's what God does to cause us no longer to be dependent upon self, our abilities, our innate uh, uh, equipment. It's what God does to bring us to the end of self so that we'll live on the basis of His life in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Live on the basis of God indwelling our life and controlling our life. Now, there is a, there is a, uh, there is a, a man in the New Testament which uh, gives us a good example of that brokenness process. It is Peter, Simon Peter probably one of the most uh, famous New Testament characters, somebody about which we at, at least know something, you know. And so I want us to uh, take his life and I just want to show you the process of brokenness as God began to break this man 
in his dependence upon his outer life, his mind and will and emotion and his five senses. Point number one, the process of brokenness is, is divinely planned. Is divinely planned. Now when Jesus called these disciples, he called them right up out of the world. And each one of them was unique, but none of them had really what, you know, uh, you would normally anticipate God would choose if He's going to find 12 men on which to build His kingdom and uh, change the world. None of them possessed that kind, none of them were that kind of men. They were just normal, everyday men. As a matter of fact, Simon Peter was a fisherman when Jesus chose him. And if you and I were, had, had, had been Jesus, if we had been cho choosing uh, uh, men for our uh, purpose of uh, changing the world, we probably would not have chosen Simon Peter. We probably would not have chosen any of these men. But Jesus set his eye on Simon Peter and he saw in him many character qualities that he could use in, in establishing his kingdom and changing the world and changing men. He saw these character qualities inherent in this man. All that was needed was just for some sanding off of these character qualities and for some perfecting of them. Let me, let me pause to say parenthetically that, that most of us, when, when we be, become Christians, you know, um, somebody tells us, hey, you know, God can really use your life. You're the kind of person that God can really use. You come and you give your life to Jesus Christ and God can really use you. And when we become Christians, you know, we, we want to be used. We want God to use us. And so we give our life to Jesus Christ and we begin to try to determine what is there in my life that God can take and use. And we, uh, we, we kind of have the impression, somehow we get along the line somewhere, the idea that, that when you become a Christian, if you present yourself to God and are willing for Him to use you, God will find something in you that He can use and He'll take that quality and He'll use it and everything will just go great. You'll just start being used of God and everything will run smoothly. And all of a sudden, things begin to happen, negative things. Trouble comes or problems come, difficulties come. And, and, and all of a sudden, we begin, what's wrong with me? I'm not being used of God. You know, problems come, barriers come, difficulties come. I'm not being used of God. And never have we been told that God doesn't take us and see what qualities we have that He can take and use and use them. He takes us like this to say, I want to break your dependence upon these character qualities that you have these inherent abilities that you have, these so-called uh, gifts and talents that you have, I want, to, I want to bring you to the end of all of those things. I want to bring you to the end of yourself and then I want to move in and I want to just take a life that's been totally yielded to me and I want to begin to function in that life and live through you. 
And that's what he did in Simon Peter's life. He saw these potentials in his life that, that were just inherent with this man, just a part of his makeup, and he zeroed in on those qualities and began to break them. Now, there were three. I want to point them out to you, and we'll look at them, at, at them carefully. One, one quality that this man had was determination. Simon Peter was a man of great determination. A second quality was courage. He was a man of great courage. I mean, he was bold, uh, a vibrant man. The third quality of this man was his loyalty. Now, I want you to go back to the text with me, and I can already tell we're going to really have to rush this. This takes a little time. I want you to go back to the text with me and look at verse 22. And at least implied in that verse 22 are these qualities that this man possessed. All right? He said to Jesus, God forbid it, Lord. You're not, he, he, he was telling, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And Peter's telling him, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. In other words, we're not going to let this happen to you. We're going to protect you from this kind of a thing. God forbid it, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. We're going to take you under our wing. We're going to protect you. And this just won't happen to you. There was determination, there was courage, and there was loyalty. Now, Jesus knew that Simon Peter had these qualities within his soulish being. And that was how he was living and operating his life, out of, the base, out, of, out of his determination and his courage and his loyalty. Does that sound familiar? I know some Christians who have just burned themselves out in the Christian life out of sheer determination to serve God. I mean, they're going to do it if it kills them. Usually it does. And I know some Christians who are serving God out of the sheer courage of their life to do it. I'll, I'd die for the Lord, and I'll prove it. And out of sheer loyalty, either to Christ or the church or the preacher. I wouldn't let my church down. I've heard that so much. I wouldn't let my pastor down. I don't feel like going to church tonight, but I don't want to let my pastor down. And out of sheer loyalty, determination, they just grind out the Christian life. There's no victory there, no spontaneity, no joy, no reigning. And that's what he saw in Simon Peter. Now, Jesus sets this you know, he zeroes in on that and he's going to say to Simon Peter, I'm going to break you in these areas so that I can use you in the maximum. Now when the process of brokenness comes, we want to weasel out of it. Let me tell you something. I didn't know what brokenness was, you know, most of my Christian life and I made a discovery just and I was telling, I was speaking this last week to a last Saturday, Friday night to a leadership conference of BSU students up at Midwest City, and I was telling them, you know, uh, that one part of the discipleship is uh, being teachable. And while I was in North Fort Worth, I had about 200 seminary students who had all the answers, and so I just let them teach me. 
and, and I'd take one of them out to dinner just about every day, every other day at least. I'd go out to the seminary campus and I'd take one of them, we'd go eat together and I'd just let them teach me some things. My, uh, some of my deacons couldn't understand that. They said, what do you spend all your time with those seminary students for? I said, they're teaching me some things. And one of the things I learned from one of those guys was the concept of brokenness. I mean, from one of my own members, a single guy, a young guy. And he started teaching me what it meant to be broken. I was his pastor, about twice his age. <laughs> And when I begin to see that, hey, this is it. This is how you live the Christian life. It's where you take your hands off self and you let God take control of your life. I said, that's it. I want that. But I didn't know what I want. I know what I was getting into. Because as God begins to break these areas where you feel the strongest, where you've always been dependent, where you've always lived your life, that's painful. We'll see that in just a second. And what I want to do when that started happening, I said, hey, whoa here. I, I, you know, I started backing out. It's like a guy saying, uh, I want to meet, meet me down at the Holiday Inn in the restaurant and I want, to, I want to do something special for you today. And you go down there thinking he's going to buy your meal. He, he wants to sign you up for the army, you know. Uh, I, he, said, I, he said, this is a way to be, this is a way to maximum usefulness. And I said, that's what I want. And then when he began to show me what it meant to be broken, I said, hey, now wait a minute. I don't know whether I want that or not. It's the shattering of this experience. But what if Peter had not been broken? What if Peter had not been broken? He would have missed Pentecost and we would have, he would have missed history and probably we would not be here tonight. It's a plan of God. God said, Jesus walking on earth and he says, here's the man I want to use and these are the qualities of his life where I'm going to zero in and I'm going to break him there and I'm going to be able to use him to the maximum. All right? Second, the process of brokenness is perpetual. The process of brokenness is perpetual. Now, while you're writing that down, let me, say, let me say this about the last point. I missed this point, and I think it's important. You are a stumbling block to God if you're not living from the Spirit. Now, when Peter responded there in Caesarea Philippi, he was responding out of the soulish mind, and he said, you're not going to do this, Lord. And, and, and Jesus said, you're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block. Um, etc. And so are we when we try to serve God out of, out of the outer man. Now I, I want you to write this down on the walls of your mind. You are only fruitful and profitable in the kingdom when you're operating from the Spirit under the Spirit's control. I really believe that. The process of brokenness is perpetual. You better keep your band-aids with you if you want to experience brokenness because there are plateaus of brokenness. It, you know, you, you, you come to this place in your life where you've been so depending on this and you've been counting on this or you've been operating in this way and God breaks that and you move to a new plateau and you move to a new plateau. It's kind of like 
every time you open one door and you go into that room, God has another one. He's ready to open up. It's perpetual. Now, with your New Testament in hand, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew 14, 22. Um, are y'all still? Are you still with me? Are you still? At, all right, hang in there. We're we're going to see something here. All right, and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. You know the story. I'm going to save time. In the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he came to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, "It is a ghost." And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, underline it, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter, look at that, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, nobody could say that except out of the Spirit. I mean, that's living in the faith dimension. Lord, you just tell me to do it and I'll walk on water. That's living in the faith dimension. That's like saying, Lord, I don't know what it, I don't know how to do it, but if you command me, go and witness. I'll go and do it. You just tell me. And I'll step out on water. I'll step out on faith. That, that's speaking from the Spirit. But notice what happens. Um, Oh, and Peter answered, and he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. You, do you really believe he did that? Boy, y'all are really convinced, or either you're just, you, you missed what I said. You really believe he did that? Huh? I mean, he walked on water. He got out and he came toward Jesus. But look at this. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, I don't know if you can see this in your mind or not, but I can see it in my mind. I can see old Peter getting back in the boat, and I can just see all the other guys in the boat just kind of, looking over there at him, you know, just kind of eyeballing him. And I, I can see him just kind of slinking down, saying to himself, I just made a fool out of myself, didn't I? Don't, don't lose sight of that. As we move on to Matthew 26, 26, 69. Matthew 26, 69. You know, the amazing thing about all this is that I can see myself in every one of these experiences. I, I, I've gotten up on Sunday morning, you know, and I, you know, and to preach, and I just had the, the best little sermon, you know. I just spent all week preparing that, getting it ready, you know, working it out, getting the, uh, getting the books down and doing the right kind of uh, homiletics and just getting it right up there, boy, and never even pray. I want to confess to you, never even pray and just get up on Sunday morning and just fall flat. 
and I want to go out the back door. And God just kind of gets me at dinner time and reminds me, hey, you know, don't you realize that you can't do those things out of your sheer determination to do them? And I'm humiliated and I'm broken. Look at verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. Now he just boasted of what? He boasted of his courage. He had said in the preceding verses, Other people may deny you. These guys, pointing to the disciples, may deny you, but I'll never deny you. I've got more guts than that. And then the rooster crowed. I was doing my quiet time this week in, in, in the uh, Gospels, and I read that verse out of the Living Bible, just one verse that says, Then the rooster crowed. And I said to God, Lord, just keep on making that rooster crow to remind me of my lack of courage. Or really, to remind me that I thought I had enough courage to do it myself. All right, hang on to that and turn with me to the most shattering of experiences and that's the 21st chapter of John beginning at verse, let's look at verse 15. The 21st chapter of John. Now look at this magnificent experience. Uh, th this, uh, this final shattering of Peter's uh, uh, outer man. Verse, 20, verse 15 says, So when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon of John, do you love me? Notice that word is agape. It's the highest form of love. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And it's the phileo word. It's the, it's the uh, love that's down one road run, uh, rung down on the ladder. It's like... Uh, deep affection for the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia, phileo. Jesus said, do you agape the highest kind of love? He said, I phileo you. I, I love you in a deep affection. Jesus came back the second time. Do you agape me? Do you love me that way? Peter answered, you know I phileo you. I have a deep affection for you. The third time Jesus asked, he said, do you even phileo me? Now watch this. Right there, eyeball to eyeball, Jesus is looking at Simon Peter and he's saying, you know, I detect, Simon, that down deep inside of you, your love for me is lacking. I I'm wondering, Simon, if you even have a deep, warm affection for me. Now, it's confession time. Um... I got off the plane in Portland, Oregon, got in the car. I shared this with BSU. It's just the, the, one of the turning points of my life. Got in the car, this guy, in his old beat-up car, and he headed from Portland up to Castle Rock, Washington. I think I've shared it with you. And this preacher in this little old bitty church, just ragtag town of Castle Rock, Washington, his little old bitty church, living in a three-room house, just, I mean, in, as far as, you know, successful pastorates, he was just really not making it. But as we rode along, and as I spent a week with that man, I discovered this, that I really didn't know the Lord. I really didn't love Him. 
I, I, I had a warm affection for him, I thought, but I really, you know, there was some question about that. What I really, who I really loved was me, you see. And he began to share with me and to teach me how to really love, what God's love was really like and how to really love God. Two emotions came on me, came to me at, at the end of that week. One was shame for, for my lack of love and secondly was a desire to love God like that. I think that's what happened on that, uh, that lake bank that morning. Jesus looking down into Simon and he shattered every part of him there. That was the final blow and he brought Simon to the realization that he, went, he was going through all the motions of discipleship out of his determination and courage and loyalty. But he really didn't love the Lord. I wonder if that's digging around where you live. And it seems that at every point where Peter seemed the strongest, he broke that quality. Now, sometimes he breaks us in a way we can't put our finger on. How far does he go in brokenness? Just, it depends on how deep he wants to go in your life, how much he wants to use you, how much you're willing to let him break you. It's perpetual. Thirdly, I'll hurry, it's painful. Brokenness is painful. It's painful for several reasons. One, because of the instrument he uses. Sometimes he uses your wife, God forbid. He does. Here, here's a busy businessman, and God uses the instrument to just bring about a business failure in his life. That's painful. Now, God wants everybody to be prosperous. And so the business failure that comes might be just, you know, just an interlude on the way to his real success. Don't, no, no, don't get me wrong. Don't go out of here quoting me and saying that every business failure is God's punishment for something wrong in your life. didn't say that at all. I'm saying that sometimes God uses the instrument of a business failure to a businessman who is just you know, operating out of the soul to bring him to brokenness. Sometimes he uses health. But, but a lot of times, he just uses a spiritual failure in your life. And that's the hardest part of all. Because we, you know, I, 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 I want to be, a, I be a, a spiritual success. I want to be used of God. I want to be successful as a Christian. And he brings about a spiritual, success, a spiritual failure in your life. Because now listen to me, listen. God is not going to allow you to be successful in your spiritual life as long as there's one area that's not yielded to Him. Now, now, follow me closely and understand what I'm talking about. It may be that you're, the reason why you're not successful as a Christian witness may not just be because you don't have the gift of evangelism. It may be because you have an area of your life that's not yielded to God, such as your finances or your prayer time. Because God is not going to allow you to be successful spiritually as long as there are areas of your life that are not yielded to Him. How could He? Can He divide His, his will, His purpose? Okay, so that... It's, it's painful because of the instruments he uses. Secondly, it's painful because he deals with our rights. He deals with our rights. I've got rights and privileges, and I want to hold on to them. 
I've got rights and choices, and I want to I manifest them. I want to declare them. He deals with our rights. I'll just mention the third. He deals with the real you. He deals with the real you. Now, most of the time, um, you know, we, we operate out of, the, out of the phony us, but God deals with the real us. Oh, isn't that, isn't that right? Say, you know, shake your head up. He just deals with the real us. I mean, he doesn't mess around with all this facade and all this stuff we put on. I mean, he just gets right down to the heart of us. And that's painful. Now, what is the result of the brokenness of Peter? I'll show you this, then it's over. I want you to turn the New Testament you have to, John, to Acts 4. To Acts 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. Now, with your finger at chapter 4, I want to read chapter 2, verse 14. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, all, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then he preached this marvelous sermon that was literally a life and death situation. It was a, it was a life-threatening situation. Now you're going to begin... You, you see the courage this man had now as God broke him and began to control his life. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the chief priests and captain of the temple guard and Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number came to about 5,000. Verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at that. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you seen that other places about him? And Peter, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, etc., etc. Now turn on to chapter 5, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. To such an extent, just catch those verses preceding and just jump in here with me. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when, who? When Peter came by, now the other disciples were there so that when Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Now look at the point of this. When a man comes to the end of himself and he takes his hand off himself, when a church comes to the end of itself, when it stops functioning on the basis of its own abilities, as, it, as those abilities are, are scattered among the people and that church begins to yield itself to the control of the Holy Spirit and operate on the basis of the revelation of God in the Spirit, then what happens? There is an explosion of God's power in the world. 
to such an extent that even they brought by those who were sick that just the shadow might fall on them. Oh, how I pray for the day to come. And why shouldn't it be in the 20th century? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When people will come into the, into the aura of God in the holy place called First Baptist Church, Durant, and there is an explosion of the power of God amongst us and the blind see and the lame walk, and in the shadows of people's life, they find refuge and healing and comfort and deliverance and freedom. Now, how does that happen? It only happens when brokenness takes place in the life. It's a beautiful sight when a believer is on his knees before God at the end of himself. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, our confession to Thee this night is that we are just like the Simon Peters of the world. But as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we know we shall be filled. And as we long to see God that You use us,